Deutschland. Bis bald. Welkommen zum Connection Podcast. Heute ist Dienstag. And now, going back over to English. I started with German because this is going to be a theme. As you see behind me, we'll get to Mikaken in a bit later. With Mikhail Kudnicka. And although his name sounds Russian, I assure you he has more experience in German racing culture than his name would mislead you to think. How have you been doing, man? It's been a long time. The last time we did this, between the last time and now, the year has changed. Yeah, the last time, I'm going to be honest, I can't remember when's the last time we did a, a car podcast. Um, it was close to the end of last year, and then I know yeah. Joe and I did a podcast with you for your channel. Um, yeah. But uh, obviously, the years changed, and quite a few things have 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 gone on. So far, it looks like 2021 has been a bit better for most people, which is good news. It's always great to hear that it's it's not been as bad as last year. But otherwise, yeah, things have changed. It's a new year. It's new challenges, new tasks. Um, certain routines are the same, but otherwise, yeah, I've been I've, I've been surviving this time and keeping busy. Excellent. As I said, this is a bit thematic. If that's not the word, I'm going to make it a word today. See this color? I would like to say this is gunmetal silver. And behind me is, well, a shade of gunmetal silver. Which leads to the first question. Is it true that... If a Mercedes-Benz has a service at 9, 9 o'clock, if the driver doesn't take the Mercedes-Benz to the dealership, that will drive itself. Well, as much as I would love to say that German efficiency is that efficient, no, it, uh, a Mercedes-Benz still does require a person <laughs> to take it. However, you will be very strongly frowned upon <laughs> if you don't take your Mercedes in at 9 o'clock as booked. Um, there's, there's still there's there's still an expectation that the human will be as efficient as the car, but so far Mercedes-Benz, the new models can to they can do elements of driving themselves, um, but I do find cars that drive themselves a bit nerve-wracking. <laughs> it's a it's a bit too Skynet for me. I like to be in control and know that. It's doing the things I wanted to do. So Elon Musk, you do you. It's just not for us. You can go ahead and create all the cars you want to drive itself. You stay there. You create the bulletproof windows that aren't bulletproof all the way. Petroleum cars. And cars that actually obey our command. Until we get over 6,000 RPM. And then basically it's just... Jesus, take the wheel. Oh, it depends what you drive. Mercedes-Benz in general, I'm not talking about your AMGs. In general, Mercedes-Benz has a quite a quite a low rev re, a red line. Um, it's about 6.2 to 6.5. So on a Mercedes, it's about 5,000 revs. Then it starts running a bit high. You don't buy a, normal, a non-AMG Mercedes-Benz. You don't, you don't buy to race to start off with. You buy Mercedes-Benz to be comfortable and at your leisure. I speak though, like I have experience in dealing with Mercedes-Benz. I don't. On a scale from 10 to 0, in terms of experience with Mercedes-Benz, I'm at a 0 and Mikhail is at a 10. No, I'm going to be honest, I think I'm so still at now, a 9. I still need a few more cars <laughs> to be at a 10. Still, I've got a lot of ways what? to go. I only have 5 now. I need 5 more. Okay, well, on the scale, comparing yours to mine, your scale is more refined than mine is. I'm still, basically, I think I'm still stuck in 2013 as far as it comes to Mercedes-Benz and what's the latest. And considering I have Mika Akinen behind me, that's 2000, 1999. 2013 is progress, I'd say. Even no, though it's, it's 2021. No, it's definitely progress. Um, even though that behind you is a McLaren Mercedes Benz, it's not. It's not. It's not Mercedes AMG. Um, 
McLaren is based in the UK and the founder, Bruce McLaren, if I remember correctly, was either Australian or New Zealand. So McLaren is, apart from using having used Mercedes-Benz engines for quite a long time in his life, and strangely enough, this year as well, the new McLaren F1 car, they've, they've re-signed with Mercedes-Benz for the engine provider. Okay. Um, they weren't really... McLaren Mercedes-Benz definitely brought a lot of wins for the Mercedes-Benz engine, but it was never a factory team. Whereas the team that Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg has been dominating with for the past eight years or seven yeah. years has been has been purely the Mercedes-Benz team. Yeah, I imagine so because it just, it just plopped onto the scene and dominated ever since. I have to be honest, that is a childhood memory of mine, this McLaren. Ever since Mercedes came onto the fold, I was thinking of Mercedes as McLaren's little brother. And since then, the little brother has outgrown McLaren. Well, th this is childhood conditioning. I was thinking, okay, think McLaren, see Mercedes. And as you say now, McLaren is actually a British, British, um, what's, what's the factory, British factory. Yeah. yeah, so basically Bruce McLaren was a race car driver and he founded McLaren. Um, and they, their original colors were the orange racing colors, the ones that McLaren have been running the past two, three years, yeah. uh, a bit longer. McLaren's been running about the orange about four, five years now. Um, but if I'm, I'm stand corrected, I think he's Australian born. Um, and he started McLaren race team. He was actually an owner and a driver at some stage. And then he passed away in a McLaren. McLaren not only did Formula One, they also did sports car racing. And then he passed away in a McLaren sports car while testing. Um, when I say sports car racing, for those watching, you're talking about things like Le Mans, those type of sports yeah, car yeah, racing. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. not someone bought a brand new McLaren and stuck stickers on it. It's a purpose-built race car, but it has a lot more body work than a Formula One car does. Yeah. Um, and then McLaren still ran the orange colors, and then they were sponsored by Marlboro here from the 70s onwards, up until the mid-90s, and Marlboro, so they, so for example, Ayrton Senna's McLaren was white and red, because of the Marlboro Yeah, I remember sponsor. that one. Um, and then here from 96, 95, 96, McLaren became sponsored by West, um, which explains also the black and silver livery because West yeah. is a cigarette manufacturer, it's a German cigarette manufacturer, and the colors are black and silver. And Mercedes Benz being an engine provider to McLaren up until the late 2000s, early 20 teens, um, it always had a element of silver coloring. But McLaren launched its first production car here about 2009-2010 with McLaren MP412C. So McLaren is very much a car manufacturer and a Formula 1 team. They are their own thing. The only thing is the McLaren Formula 1 team has still not developed its own in-house engine. So they ran Mercedes-Benz engines until the early 20-teens. Then they moved over to Honda. Yeah. Which wasn't too successful, but I think no, you put that. You put that no, but you put it down to development time. Um, and then for this year, for 2021, McLaren, Mercedes-Benz are running Mercedes-Benz engines, but there's no Mercedes-Benz branding whatsoever on the car itself. Um, because McLaren is a manufacturer on its own. It's like the new Aston yeah. Martin team. Um, Aston yeah. Martin is also running Mercedes-Benz engines, but on the other hand, that is slightly more accurate. Because your brand new Aston Martin road cars with the six liter V12, it's a Mercedes Benz developed V12. Um, yeah. So the, it's a, it's slightly more accurate for Aston Martin to run Mercedes Benz motors because their road cars, their engines are developed. Aston Martin, Mercedes Benz developed the engines together for the road cars. So it's, it's, it's slightly more fitting. But once again, Aston Martin will not have any Mercedes Benz engine branding on the car itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is what I can speak about with you that I cannot speak about with like 99.999% of the podcast in the world ever. I'm looking at Formula One, right? And I think there's like a culture clash 
Or at the very least, an identity clash. Because looking, looking back all the way to the 90s, well, that's when I started watching Formula One and having a vested interest in it. Uh, Williams. Williams. I remember them using Cosworth engines a few years later, or like a decade later. They changed to BMW engines. Alfa Romeo, for example, they are running Ferrari engines. Which makes uh, sense because the Fiat Group owns the Fiat Group owns Alfa Romeo and Ferrari and Lancia and Maserati. So the Ferrari, t- the Alfa Romeo running Ferrari engines makes sense because it's in-house. Um, and then you have the Haas team, which is an American team. They're running Ferrari engines. That's why Mick Schumacher is racing for Haas this year is because he's part of the Ferrari Driver Academy. Um, yeah. So he's Formula Three and Formula Two championship titles were with Ferrari Academy teams. And because yeah. Haas run Ferrari engines and they main Formula One team, it's easier to put, it, it makes sense to put a Ferrari driving Academy driver into a team that runs Ferrari engines. Yeah. Um, with the long term, if if if, Meek, if if Mick Schumacher shows the growth he's done in the, in the smaller formulas, um, he is basically yeah. being groomed to go to Ferrari at some stage. Um, but they'll probably do Haas, then Alfa Romeo, and then move him on to, yeah. to Ferrari. I don't think he'll jump automatically from Haas to Ferrari. No, it, it's like a uh, graduation system. Yeah. If I uh, look at the Red Bull, Red Bull, they have Toro Rosso and Max Verstappen, for example, started with Toro Rosso. And, and Vettel as well? Yeah. And then he jumped ship to Ferrari. The thing is, Red Bull, Red Bull, unfortunately, has a history of treating their academy drivers like shit. They honestly do. Um, they'll have, there's quite a few, there's one or two um, content creators that are only Formula One focused that I that I follow. Um, because obviously a lot of the, the, the issues with Red Bull and their academy drivers, they obviously won't publicize. Yeah. Um, but there are... For every for every Sebastian Vettel and and Max Verstappen, um, there's three or four that showed similar promise that that fell away. Um, so, for example, what they did to Pierre Gasly. Okay, did Pierre Gasly deserve to get to be that young that early in a Red Bull racing seat? No, probably not. But halfway through the season, they did. It's not really fair to say they demoted him, but they moved him over to what is now known as Alpha Tauri, formerly Toro Rosso. Um, so they do the the academy drivers they treat really badly, um, and they have. I'm actually with regards to Formula One. I've always been a Ferrari fan before Mercedes Benz, um, because I grew up in the Michael Schumacher era uh, with Eddie Irvine and then Rubens Barrichello and Felipe Massa. All great number two drivers. Um, Kimi Raikkonen won us our last title. Also a Finn, like Mika. So Red Bull, they, they do treat their drivers. They, they have very strict um, driver's orders. Um, in the modern Formula 1 era, definitely stricter than Ferrari had. Um, so it's... it's To get into Red Bull is, is good. Obviously because you get a Formula 1 seat, but... You don't have a guarantee that you'll keep that seat. Um, I think most, I'm, I think all number two drivers at Red Bull and AlphaTauri are expendable, um, which is not, it's not, it's not right. Red Bull Racing are in general a great team. Um, Sebastian Vettel won four titles there. I do really hope to see Max Verstappen one year pick up a title because he is fast enough, he is talented enough. He's for he someone that's not twenty. Uh, he's 22, 23 now, so he's starting to mature. <laughs> now, obviously, I would love Ferrari to win titles after one another, but I do like I do like mixing it up a bit. Um, that's well, why I love I love the late two thousands because you had you had Schumacher from two thousand to two thousand four. Okay, yeah, it was great. Five titles in a row. It was altogether he won seven titles. Then you had Renault two years yeah. in a row. Yeah. Then you had Ferrari in 2007. Then you had McLaren in 2008. Then you had Braun, which became Mercedes-AMG F1 team in 2009. And then in 2010, 
uh, I think 2010 was McLaren again, and then you had Red Bull four years in a row, and then now Mercedes has done it basically yeah. seven years in a row, eight yeah. years in a row. So I do like yeah. mixing it up. Yes, I would like to see Ferrari win a title again, obviously, but. From a historical point of view, I want McLaren to be competitive again, the way they were in the late 80s, early 90s. I want Williams to be competitive again, like they were in the early 80s up until the mid 90s. Uh, oh, it looks like we're 20 years away from that. Um, you want Red Bull every now and then to 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 shake the cage. Um, I would like to see Aston Martin possibly pick up a title. You want you want to have a bit of a mix. Um, it's the same, uh, slightly off topic, but it's the same with, with you and I that enjoy football. I like the idea of you had, okay, yes, you had Leicester City and then you have Chelsea, Man City, Chelsea, and now you have Liverpool. And now you need a bit of a mix up. There needs to be a bit of, yeah, a bit of a mix. Um, that's why Formula One in the 60s and 70s was really entertaining because it was all every two to three, maybe four years, you had a different. You had not only a different driver win it, obviously, but it was a different manufacturer. It was a different team. Um, so yes, do I want Ferrari to be top of the podium again? Yes, I would love it um, because I think Charles Leclerc is a great driver. I think Carlos Sainz Jr. could possibly also be a good driver. He's a very prof- he's a very professional driver. The way he looks at at the way his diet, his training, um, the way he focuses and has a good relationship with his technical team as he did with McLaren. So he's, he's an utmost professional. Based on who his dad is, obviously, you would expect that. You want to have a mix-up. This year it's Ferrari, ooh, but next year Mercedes and, and Red Bull are challenging. But you have teams like Aston Martin and hopefully one day McLaren, Williams being the outlier teams. Um, every now and then, or Renault, which is now called Alpine, if um, one team sneaking in a win every now and then. Um, same with Alfa Romeo pushing for points places. So 2022 with all the new, because they have a budget cap and a design cap for next year. Um, okay, on the one hand, I'm opposed to it because I've always believed that Formula One team with the most money has the right to win. So basically it would be Ferrari and Mercedes uh, because they have the budgets. Um, but which it kind flip, of is despite despite the caps that have been imposed over the last few years, they've still adapted to them. To yeah, but now the, the flip side is two. the thing is the cap was sort of like between okay, I'm speaking roughly now, but the cap is anything between 150 and like 180 million. So in Formula One, a thirty million dollars still makes a massive difference. Where from next year, everyone gets the same amount. Um, everyone, I think, gets one hundred and fifty million, and that has to cover everything. It has to cover the development. It has to cover cover salaries. It has to cover cover flights. All those things. All the logistics. Everything has to be covered by that budget. Um, so Ferrari's special payments won't be applicable to spend on operation costs. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it gives a leg up to the smaller teams, hopefully. So teams like, for example, Haas, I think it's a bit unfair because I want Mick Schumacher to, for a rookie and the bottom place team to do well. But for example, Haas it's, have admitted openly this year, they're not focusing on this year. All their development is going into next year for the new chassis and the budget gap and everything. Um, so the smaller teams, it'd be nice if the smaller teams get a bit of a leg up. So that you have more competitive, not only racing, um, just a, a bit more, a bit more variety and in, 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 in people winning or podiums. Um, and for example, if I look at this year's liveries, I don't think they so far. Okay, Ferrari is doing their official launch tomorrow, but all the other nine teams have done their car launches so far, and there's not a single ugly car on that grid this year. All the cars have great liveries. Um, Aston Martin and their British Racing Green. And it looks good. It looks really good. Um, okay, Mercedes AMG has done... They, they've, they've kept the mostly black car. Uh, because Lewis Hamilton is, is a major supporter of BRM. But there's, there's a bit more silver in this year's car than last year. Once again, not an ugly car. Um, the McLaren looks good. Um, Alfa Romeo looks good. 
the Alpine, which is basically just the Renault team being rebranded. That's a gorgeous car with the color scheme. Um, the Alpha Tauri is nice and simple and elegant, which I like. Um, okay, Red Bull looks the same as last year, but it's not an ugly car. Their, their livery has never been ugly. Um, Williams is is a very wow and loud car, which I like. It's 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 a very massive paint palette. Um, Haas is slightly controversial because Nikita Mazepin's dad is Russian, is basically bankrolling the team. Um, but even though the livery is controversial, it's still not bad to look at. It's still not a terrible car to look at. Um, so yeah, I think I think this year's Formula One we really have some good-looking cars, and Ferrari is apparently doing a two-tone car, which means by two-tone, if you look at Formula One cars in the 70s, um, Ferrari Formula One cars were very much red at the bottom, and then the top, usually where your air intake is at the back, the major air intake for the motor, was white, and then yeah. it was split by the tricolor with the Italian flag and a very thin pinstripe. So if Ferrari is going to do that, if, if that's what they're hinting at, it's going to look awesome. It's also going to be a bit nostalgic because it's going to look like the F1 cars from the <laughs> 70s. Um, so I don't think there's an, there's an ugly car on the grid this year. Now, if you can have those type of color schemes next year, and it's a bit more competitive because everyone has a budget cut. Everyone has to work within the, the confines of a certain amount. It's going to be nice having a Formula 1 race where you have blue car... Is fighting with the green car, the red car is fighting with the silver car. You have the, all these colors competing. Um, also, going to yeah. make the obviously makes the podium look a bit more colorful and interesting. So, and Formula One is all about the visuals. We've all accepted that Formula One cars will never sound as great as they used to because a V10 Formula One car is just literally orgasmic. Um, the V6 oh, turbos sound boring. <laughs> I don't like the turbo V6s. I don't. I really don't. They sound like... They sound... If you listen very carefully, they sound like a Mark V VW Golf GTI that's been modified. No disrespect to Golf GTIs. I love a Mark V Golf GTI, <laughs> but they've got that same... They've got the same little... Basically little modified rumble where V10 is that screaming at time. V10 Formula One cars had a red line of 19 and a half thousand revs. They were screamers. With a V6 turbo hybrid era, sort of like, eh. eh it's, it's all right. You know, I I'll, personally I'll do it. not want to see a V6 in the hybrid era go to 19 and a half revs. No, because um, at, at that stage, only dogs will be able to hear it. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's why personally i switched off from formula one as you mentioned since 2008 is that's when like i'll term it as politics everything came in okay new rule changes uh the points the points per win is going to change from 10 to 25. that's when it just changed from the one that i knew throughout my childhood to something i don't really want to be invested in and then I read into the the new engine specification, and it just seemed alien to me that effectively Formula One cars are gonna downgrade the engine to V6, but they're gonna add a turbo and NOS to it. And I know technically it has to do with downforce and the kinetic energy, the resource system, or whatever it's called. It's just not pure as it was. But then again, considering carbon emissions and the environment, the world can't really function <laughs> with the way the world was in the 90s, early 2000s. There's these... There's things I agree with, the rule changes, and there's things I disagree with. I agree with them taking away all of the nannies. I like the idea that Formula 1 cars don't have traction control, and basically Formula 1 cars don't have ABS. So all the electronic stability control programs, I'm in agreement with. I'm 100% agreement with the fact that you have a Formula 1 car, you're more likely to have oversteer or understeer if the car's not set up right. You can spin the car around if you don't know what you're doing. Um, so I agree with that. I do love that. 
that the cars are more mechanical to drive to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in yeah. favor of that. I'm in favor of Formula One cars running slicks because a Formula One car and slicks is sexy because everyone loves slicks. Um, so I'm I'm in favor of the slicks. Um, what I'm not in favor of, and sadly a lot more. Okay, before I go, on, I don't have the problem with the engines. For example, here by 2010, 2011, they moved over to the V8s, which is fine. Um, if you look at Formula One teams of the 60s and, and a few of them in the 70s, the Cosworth um, V8 engine Formula One cars dominate. So there was a bit of nostalgia to it, having V8 Formula One cars again. There was an element of nostalgia, because if you look at the late 60s, early 70s, and once or twice in the 80s, you had V8-powered Formula One cars win titles. So I'm like, I'm fine with that. It, 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 is, a, it is a hint of nostalgia. So I'm... I'm I'm, I miss the V10. I miss that, basically, that howl, that banshee sounds they make. But I can live with the V10 based on history of Formula 1. Um, to a certain extent, the, the turbocharged V6s as well, because people forget that the early 80s is referred to as the turbo era. You had Formula 1 cars with V6s and four cylinders making 1,000, 1,500 horsepower. So it's not really, it's not too off-brand, because Formula 1 did have a turbocharged era. They did have turbo cars. But turbocharged Formula 1 cars from the early 80s had one sole purpose, or maybe two, to go fast and most likely kill you. Um, they weren't safe. You're talking about you're talking about you're talking about a Formula 1 car built barely from carbon fiber, still mostly aluminium and titanium. Doing a thousand five hundred horsepower with slicks slightly narrower than what you get today and the cars were lighter it, yeah and the car had to be as light as possible with that power and very little downforce exactly so once again turbocharged v6 formula one cars i can live with it because history has shown that it has been done to, done before ferrari in the 50s and 60s at some point ran Formula One cars with four and six cylinder engines. So it, it, it's still not slightly off brand. It is possible. The problem I have with the, the turbo era is I'm not a fan of DRS. I'm not a fan of the fact that you have certain areas, especially straights, where you can have less downforce. Um, they did a comparison lap times. If you put a two, if you, for example, take the F2004 Ferrari, the car Schumi yeah. won his last title with, which dominate. Yeah. I think apart from one race, every single other race was won by Ferrari in 2004. Yeah. By all, if you put it on slicks, at, compared to a 2020 Formula One car with all the DRS activated and the overtake mode and the the curves, the extra power button. Around a lap, a 2004 Formula 1 car will still be faster because it has less downforce. Um, so I find DRS a bit stupid. Either you run a lot of downforce or you don't. Uh, because I feel the system is a compromise. It's a compromise. DRS yeah. and the overtake mode and essentially curves, which are no longer call curves, but it still does the same thing. The, these are all things that they've added to make the initial compromise appear to be a better idea. They're trying to they're trying to say, okay, the cars are running more downforce, but if you have more downforce, you slow it. So let's sort of like instead of fixing it, let's we've got three plasters we can just stick over it. Um, <laughs> which is like not really how it works. Um, either you run a lot of downforce and accept that the cars are going to be slightly slower around the track, um, which is going to make for less less battling, um, or you make the downforce a bit less and you make the cars a bit lighter again. Um, yeah. Also with the rules, I miss refueling. I love pit stops where you had to do tire changes and refuel because... Oh yeah, definitely. I, I miss those 10, 15 second. 20 second pit stops. I, I could remember you would you would completely shit yourself if someone pulled a seven, eight second, nine second pit stop with refueling. Exactly. It was, exactly. It was, it was amazing. Where now it's like two and a half seconds and you're done. Nah, come on. It's it's it was the whole point of refueling and, and the tires. It was this it was basically yeah. this whole 
I'm not romanticizing a lot. I am Where's the emotion? Yeah, I, I know I'm romanticizing, but it felt like a fully conducted orchestra, a, a pit a pit stop yeah. that went well. Yeah. The tire changes, the refueling, yeah. all that. It was this, it was this conducted orchestra. Apart where... from the auditorium pit stop. Yeah, and for example, for Michael Schumacher, I think in 2001, also almost set himself on fire um, with a pit stop. Ferrari almost killed Felipe Massa with a because he drove off with the nozzle and then there was fire and yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and, and many yeah. small insects died. Um, but there was something about having a pit stop where you have to refuel and do tires because it made the strategies also so much more intense. And that looks like another set of slicks to me, James. It's absolutely extraordinary. When Salo came in a moment ago, they had both slicks and drives ready for it. Right rear. They're not ready on the left rear. There's no tyre. Right rear, I beg your pardon, there's no tyre here. I've never oh. seen anything like it. There's, and there's, and there's and no tyre to put on. Oh, I thought we had one when the race started, he's saying. Well, this is ludicrous. This is now ludicrous. going to have a committee meeting about it. Stick it on and send him out. A major mal-misorganisation problem there. Are they running a two-stop or a three-stop? Um, because you could, you because your qualifying was different. Um, you could qualify with a full tank of fuel, or you could qualify with a half tank of fuel. So your strategies oh, yeah. were a lot more intense. Um, yeah. We now, it's just tires. You get a full tank of petrol in the beginning, and then that's that's <laughs> it. Um, and then at some stage here, by five, ten laps to go, unless you're pushing for a lead or a podium spot, a lot of drivers slightly back off a bit because they have to make sure there's fuel in the car at the end. Pit stops with fuel, yeah. you would racing a lot more 100% of the time because you knew there's a fuel stop. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't agree with taking where the fuel stops. And like I said, the DRS and the curves and the, the overtake mode, all those things, I don't agree with. Um... The points I agree with are stupid, because the old system, if you if you won, you got 10 points. If you came last, you got a point. So the first top 10 people got points. But the nice thing is, yeah, because the point differences were so little, you could still have a dark horse come in and maybe take a title. But now, the yeah. difference between the first and second place, I think, is 25 to 15 points, if I'm correct. So someone like Hamilton is going to, by the middle of the season, Hamilton will run away with the title because of the 25 points. Now, if you look at last season, Max Verstappen got a lot stronger at the end of the season. But here from the, the last, let's say, third. Now, if you still had the 10-point system, Mercedes would have been a lot under a lot more pressure because Max has won. Max has got a podium. Max has got this. It's no longer a 100-point lead. It's now... A 20 25 point lead it also gives that it also gives the chasing pack a lot more to fight for <laughs> exactly and that's one of the many things that were lost in these rule changes that were made uh one of the things that was lost in this podcast was my strategy to go 33 minutes <laughs> i uh, teething problems, so we'll just go a little longer. Uh, <laughs> the outstanding memory that I have of Formula One is, even though that I supported McLaren, my dad supported McLaren. Nope. The one long-lasting memory was, after two hours, there's one song that you mostly heard and that's the german national anthem and it's been a long time since i heard that <laughs> yeah basically I heard it twice most of the season uh well on the other hand with mercedes-benz dominating you still basically hear it every single sunday because the manufacturer is german um but it wasn't the same. It's not the same. It's not. It's not Schumacher and Mika Hakkinen, and, and then a bit later on Fernando Alonso. It's, yeah. For example, if you take the mid '90s until, let's take it up until 2007, maybe 2008 when Hamilton won his first title. So let's take a 12-year time period. 
you had Michael Schumacher in 1994-1995. You had Damon Hill 1996. You had Jacques Villeneuve in 1997. You had Mika Hakkinen in 1998 and 1999. Okay, you had Michael Schumacher from 2000 to 2004. Then you had Fernando Alonso 2005-2006. Then you had Kimi Raikkonen in 2007. And then you had Loomis Hamilton in 2008. So you've had two German one English, not British, one English, one Canadian, two Finnish, <laughs> two Finnish, then five German, two Spanish, one Finnish, one English titles. And then you had people, one Pablo Montoya was always there for a fight and possibly a yeah. podium or two. Um, when Kimi Raikkonen was racing for McLaren Mercedes-Benz, he was always an outlier as well. Um, you had very good number two drivers like David Coulthard and Rubens Barrichello, who was later replaced by Felipe Massa. Um, Ralph Schumacher at Williams BMW was not a bad number two driver. Obviously, he will never be his brother, but he was not a bad number two driver. You know, uh, I, always, I always bet the, the underdog in that brother battle. And then, more often than not, I find Ralph Schumacher spinning out off the start on the first corner and there my hopes for an interesting race went so you had you had a variety of manufacturers a variety of liveries a variety of engine suppliers national anthems being played on the podium as well there was, there was this variety um and obviously most people would argue watching this because i smoke I'm more likely to miss, but I miss the cigarette sponsorship. I miss a McLaren in West. I miss a Ferrari in Marlboro Colors. Yeah. I miss yeah. a Renault in Mild 7. Um, yeah. Honda with the, BAR Honda with the Lucky Strike livery. Be, um, Jordan with Benson and Hedges. Um, before Williams were with BMW, they were sponsored by Winfield. And before that, they ran the Rothmans Colors. And a lot earlier than that, Camel. Um... All these great teams had cigarette sponsorships because of the colors that cigarettes are packaged in. Yeah, yeah. Made Formula One cars sexy. It looked good. Ferrari and Formula that, One cars in, in with cigarette sponsorship looked yeah. good. Yeah, and on that point, I believe that the most beautiful car that I've seen in Formula One is the BMW Williams. Prime Juan Pablo Montoya and the maybe Jensen Button. Yeah. My sponsored by Hewlett Packard. Yeah. The printers. The racing printers. Many, many minutes later. It will probably be dominated by Mercedes again, which gets a bit boring. Um, and I personally, I don't want Hamilton to win an eighth title because I don't think he's deserved most of his. Um, it's just because his whole career has been spoon-fed to him. Uh, firstly, secondly, he has no technical ability. Uh, you've been slightly muted there, my friend. I think you muted yourself accidentally. There we oh, go. Oh yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I, I forget that I do certain things right after I do them. Uh, we are far beyond where racing is just determined by pure driver's skill. That's why Lewis Hamilton is at seven. That's why Lewis Hamilton broke Michael Schumacher's record. And he'll probably break it again. The thing is, I do think he's a talented driver. I will give him that. He is a very talented driver. But the things that personally count against him for me is firstly that his career has been spoon-fed. Lewis Hamilton has never been in a bad car, ever. He's never climbed into a car that is less than what he is. If you take into account when Michael Schumacher went to Ferrari in 1996, they were basically a mid-table team. Schumacher, Schumacher basically spent three, four years helping the team develop the cars they end up having. So that's the one thing. He doesn't know how to drive a slow car fast because he's never been given a slow car. 
he also doesn't know how to nurse a car. Schumacher had this amazing talent for taking a car that's so close to breaking and still getting into the points with it. Oh, Hamilton's yeah, never yeah. had that. Lewis Hamilton's never had to be in that position. Um, and then the most important thing for me is is the development. I could remember when testing was still allowed. That's one another rule I hate is you can't test through the year. I think at some stage in the 365-day year, Schumacher spent about 320 days with the team. He tested every single day. If they weren't on the road racing, he tested for the smallest type of things. And he had this technical ability to speak to his his, his team. Listen, we need to adjust this. We need to look at this. I'm feeling this in the car. Um, and if you want to go back further, Alan Prost, the Frenchman who won four titles. There's a reason his nickname was The Professor. Apart from the fact that he was extremely calm and calculated in how he drove, he knew a car mechanically inside and out. Hamilton doesn't have that. And then people forget Schumacher was at Mercedes-Benz from 2010 to 2012. A lot of the Mercedes-Benz success today was built on the development and the infrastructure Schumi put in at Mercedes-Benz. Toto Wolff, team director of Mercedes-Benz, admitted that they wouldn't have won as many titles as they have thus far if it weren't for Schumacher in those, in those growing years. Because Schumacher knew how to set up a car. Listen, you need to test this. This is need, what we need to look at. Hamilton can't do that. Take Hamilton is it out. Right? Is it right to think that this all comes from Ross Braun? The connection between Ross Braun and Michael Schumacher created this dynasty that Mercedes Yeah, but it's more have. than that. It's, it's more... Okay, the Ferrari dynasty was bought on four people. Jean Todd, who's now the head of the FIA. Yeah. John Todd was team manager. Then you had Ross Braun, who was technical director. You had Rory Byrne, South African born and raised, that did the car development and design. And then you had Michael Schumacher. And a large extent, yes. The 2009 title that Braun GP won with Ross Braun, because it was his team, set the initial foundation. Having Michael Schumacher there from 2010 to 2012 just built on top of Ross Braun's hard work initially. And they've been they've been bearing the fruits ever since then. It's been nine years. Okay, yes, they didn't win for two years because it was it was it was Mark uh, it was Vettel with Red Bull, but the basically eight years of almost eight years of dominance has been because of Ross Braun initially and Michael Schumacher thereafter, and Lewis Hamilton and initially Nico Rosberg and now Valtteri Bottas. They 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 enjoying the fruits of what was done before. I I can't see Hamilton walking into a team and helping design and develop a car like Schumacher and before him Alan Prost did. He doesn't have that ability. So that's why I don't rate him as high. I'm not saying he's a bad person. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with his political views. I'm not disagreeing with the fact that he has talent. I'm disagreeing with the fact that he's never had to work as hard as he says he has for everything he's achieved, and he doesn't have the technical. Lewis Hamilton can honestly, I believe, can't climb into a bad Formula One car and then explain to the engineers why it's bad. And I think a Formula One driver has to be so much more than just a driver for me. I think there's a lot more to it. There's supposed to be more to it than having someone set up the car on your behalf and then go, okay, now go drive and win. Okay, so would you say the drivers that are on the grid, would you say the last remaining drivers that can do that are Raikkonen, Alonso, and to some extent Vettel? Okay, yes, I'm in agreement with Fernando Alonso. Um, he definitely has it in him. He has, apart from the years of experience that comes with age, I think because he, he, he came up, he was in the mid-2000s when he still had testing and he could still develop the car through the year and adapt and change. Yes, very much Fernando Alonso. Um, I would say, yes, Kimi Raikkonen, but Kimi Raikkonen doesn't really care. <laughs> Raikkonen. Under pressure. Diamonds are made under pressure. I want to be in the fastest car. Hey, make sure that we are that dominant car. Push Lewis Hamilton all the fucking way. That's the hardest thing to do. It's not going to be easy. No, 
it's more like a hobby for me, so obviously I don't need to do it if I don't want. Kimi Raikkonen openly admitted Formula 1 is a hobby for him now. He's won the title, he's proven he can, it's a hobby for him. He just wants to drive fast and drink late and sleep later. Um, <laughs> but I think Kimi Raikkonen with the right inspiration, yes, can develop a Formula 1 car. Um, Sebastian Vettel, I think now that he's a bit older and Aston Martin is a new challenge, I think he will be very much part of the development of the Formula One car. I do believe so. Um, oh, so that's weird. That's weird, I mean. Is I saw Sergio Perez, I think. Uh, as like a YouTube channel and first day of text testing by a Ferrari driver. So I was thinking, obviously they're not going to let Charles Leclerc go. So where did Vettel go? So you just yeah. fall in the blanks. You went to yeah. Sebastian Vettel went to Aston Martin, and then Sergio Perez actually went to Red Bull. We signed Ferrari, signed Carlos Sainz Jr. from McLaren, and Daniel Ricciardo then left Renault and went to McLaren. Um, so those are some of the most most yeah. of the big moves and shakes. Haas obviously got rid of both Ric their drivers. Ricardo and Alonso in the same team for a season. I think it's going to be quite entertaining, actually. I'm actually looking because it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different combo. It's a very different type of combination. I'm looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to that combination. Um, so Mercedes-Benz is unchanged. It's Lewis Hamilton and or Mercedes-AMG, if I want to be, have to be specific. So Mercedes AMG is Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas. Um, Ferrari is Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz Jr. McLar um, Renault is Fernando. Okay, Alpine is Fernando Alonso and I don't know actually. McLaren is Daniel Ricciardo and also actually not clear on it. And then obviously Sebastian Vettel will be number one driver at Aston Martin. Um, Haas has Nikita Mazepin, which doesn't, he doesn't deserve to be there because he finished like fifth in the Formula 2 title last season, but his dad's got a lot of money. So he's been literally paid to be there. Oh, Aston Martin obviously will be Lewis Ham um Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll because Lance Stroll's dad owns the Formula One team and owns 35% of Aston Martin, the car manufacturer. Well, that's um, how Lance Stroll got into Formula One. Yeah, because his daddy bought it. It's him. a money game, man. His, da his, he, he, he his daddy bought his seat. No, he literally went daddy on a race Formula One and daddy bought him a Formula One team. Didn't <laughs> buy him a seat, he bought him a Formula One team. <laughs> Nikita Mazepin's dad at least just bought him the seat. However, there are talks that Nikita Mazepin might buy Haas or Haas's Formula One project because very few people know Haas's main income and success is actually from NASCAR and IndyCar racing. Um, their Formula One team is like their third leg, their third branch. And there are talks that Nikita Mazepin's dad might, at the end of the year, either buy majority share in Haas or completely buy over the team. So there is a possibility that we'll have another driver whose daddy bought him a team. Uh, let's hope that is the last time this will happen. Uh, it probably won't be. It probably won't be. Um, the past 10 years, they are more than enough um, for example, Christian Albon from last yeah. year. Uh, yeah. His father's British and his mom is Thai. So I do, because I've lived in Thailand and my dad still lives here. It was kind of cool actually having a Thai Formula One driver on the grid. I was in Bangkok. <laughs> uh, it doesn't, you know what's funny about Bangkok? It, it, it doesn't matter how old you get. When you hear Bangkok, you'll giggle every time. I, 42 years old, I'm like, Bangkok. <laughs> Um, yeah. his seat at Red Bull was that bought by daddy um, because Red Bull also has a driving academy and most of the his seats so Formula 4, Formula 3, Formula 2 daddy bought 
Um, so there is, it's, it's nothing new for, for drivers, usually their daddies to buy them seats or in the case of, of, of Aston Martin, literally buy them a team. Um, and then you get Mick Schumacher who goes about it the right way. Don't get me wrong. So there, there, are, there are exceptions at all. Don't get me wrong. There's still a lot of money behind Max Schumacher. Um, but I think it's because luckily he has the surname. But Max Schumacher has been able to back it up. He has won a Formula yeah, 3. Yeah, they are credentials too. He's won a Formula 3 title. He's, he's last year's Formula 2 champion. Um, the smaller leagues like go-karting and your Formula 3, um, your Formula Ford. Okay, you don't. What we used to know is Formula Ford. Um, yeah. So the small feeder series, he's won titles, he has won races. But if you look at Formula 1 as a whole, he's an F3 and an F2 champion. So he does have the credentials. The surname does help. But I, I do honestly believe he's fought for every single win he's ever had. Um, yeah. But obviously there comes money. It's a lot. For example, his father was always sponsored by the German um, Postal Service. And I see he's one of his main sponsors is also um, the German Postal Service. So there is there is definitely money behind it, but it's 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 slightly more earned money. Um, yeah. So it 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 does help, but I find it unfair that the team he's racing in is largely being financed by his teammate's dad. So I have a very terrible feeling, even though they're going to be the team at the back of the grid, doesn't matter how slow the cars are, make will end up getting the slower of the two. Because yeah, teammates, be yeah, purely because his teammate's dad has been paying a lot of money for him to be there. Um, and so, his technical team has to keep up the status quo for the season. Exactly. Daddy's little boy has to get all yeah. the all the parts and first. i think it's a and i think it's bullshit because you have two rookies you have two rookies you don't have team orders when you have two literally rookies let them fight it out for number one and two in the team yeah. on the other hand i would argue mick schumacher has to be number one because he won the formula two title last year and Nik nikita mazepin was fifth or sixth um based on that <laughs> but Nikita Mazepin is going to jump from 6th to 1st within a couple of months in team orders. So, I think Mick Schumacher needs to see out his two years at Haas and show that he can still be consistent even if it's with the slow car and then move over to Alfa Romeo so that he can actually have a fair chance, a fair fighting chance to be in the mid-back. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, and hopefully, Kimi Raikkonen keeps at his hobby for about three more years at least to spend at least one with Mick. yeah that'd be it, it it's nice and romantic to think about it but i don't know i think kimmy i think kimmy might leave at the end of the season because he's got a rolling contract he can basically pull out of his contract whenever he wants to um so i don't know yeah i don't know if he if he'll stay on after this season like I said, he told him he's he's honest. He's been honest about it. He enjoys Formula One, enjoys being competitive, but it's a hobby for him now. Uh, my dad and I, my dad is also a big Formula One fan, so we usually chat a lot about Formula One. You get two types of drivers in Formula One. You've got you've got people like Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher and Alan Prost and Ayrton Senna, um, and Jackie Stewart you've, you, and Nicky Lauda. You've got drivers that want to win more than once. They want to prove that they are better than just winning once. Um, yeah. They want to win every single time. They want to they want to win a Formula One World Title and then win another one and another one. Um, Sebastian Vettel is the same. And then you get people like Kimi Raikkonen and Nico Rosberg and his father KK Rosberg and Jacques Villeneuve and Damon Hill. The epitome for them is saying they were world champion once, and it's fine. And I can still respect you. Still, you still world champ. You still won a bloody title, um, but that's the difference. Mm -hmm. And Kimi Raikkonen is the latter. He he entered Formula One to win a Formula One world title, and he did it. That was his driving force. He's done it, and he got it. I have to be. 
I have to be honest, when I first saw Kimi Raikkonen at Sauber, I saw this blonde guy that, like, I wanted stuff to happen for him, and credit to him, he has become a uh, world champion. I just, it's just one of those things, I think, similar with Nico Rosberg, you see this young guy, blonde, and just all glamour type, and... As much as I wanted things to happen for him, it's I was pessimistic in the way that I thought it wasn't happen. And then it did happen, and Nico Rosberg raced in Abu Dhabi, and then left entirely. And I'm fine with that. Because remember, what, what I liked about what Nico did, actually, and I respect him for it, is he won a world title and then he retired. There was no, there was no downfall. You yeah. literally left at the top, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Michael Schumacher won seven titles. Then he had two years where Renault dominated, and then he retired. But he was still competitive. And then, and then he came back in 2010, 2011, and he helped to de- develop the Mercedes AMG team as we know it now. But he wasn't competitive. He wasn't that competitive. He was still a great driver, but the car just. The car wasn't there yet. And I will always still look up to him. I will still idolize him. Um, I still hope every single day that he fully recovers from his skiing accident. But there's something about having someone like Nico Rosberg go, I've won the world title, now I'm stepping out. No one can ever look back and say, but Nico had a fall from grace. He was so much slower the next year. He was no longer competitive the next year. Or... He started yeah. getting ragged around the edges. You can't. You can't. He drove his ass off. He clearly took the title away from Lewis Hamilton, which was, I think, that in-house fight must have been massive the whole season. He gets the title, and then he goes, peace out, bitches. I'm done now. I've got the title. <laughs> I've got the title. I've got the medal. I literally left at the top. Um, mm. He basically pulled us to Alex Ferguson straight Ferguson won his 20th title. <laughs> Ferguson won 13 titles with Man United. He won his 20th with the club and he retired. So no one can go like Arsene Wenger. Yeah, but he's gone out backwards and stuff. Nico did the same. No one can argue that he lost talent or form. You can't really lose form if you retire immediately after you've won your title. And to have one last football reference in the podcast Liverpool is still not back on the perch in the 80s Fergie said he was going to knock Liverpool off with the perch he did and Liverpool is still not back on the perch no they're not and it I, seems I, like I, it will still be a while until yeah. they can be but with regards to that I will have to keep my opinions a bit to myself <laughs> because my missus oh, is yeah, sitting yeah, across yeah, from yeah, me yeah. And, and, and she supports <laughs> that, that particular um, institution <laughs> Oh, yes, yes. We will call them an institution. So, to wrap up, I'll just say that I'll see something strange that happened today. In the lead-up to this podcast, I had this thing pop up on my watch later list on YouTube. And it was basically a documentary, real stories, I think, uh, hosted by Richard Hammond. We basically shadowed the Red Bull Formula One team and how how the Red Bull car is built from the ground up. Where it goes with the pistons and how they get the cars to become lighter using carbon fiber, uh, magnesium. I think that's what the compound they used. Magnesium, they used uh, Kevlar for the tank, just to ensure that no flammable substance, while there will be flammable substance inside the fuel tank, just to ensure there's no ignition close to it, unless there's like a crash or things like that. But anyway, what I was saying is, I added that video to my watch list about a year ago, and I got to it an hour before this podcast. So, funny how the world works. Yeah, so this is, well, at 
started out as being the 3 in 53 podcast. This is now 3 in 53 podcast times 2. <laughs> the two 33 minute podcasts in one. Thanks, Mikhail. Thank you so you'll much for having Mikhail. me. You'll find Mikhail everywhere. You can find the links down below. And until we do this again in 2022. Hopefully not that long. <laughs> Hopefully not that long. <laughs> yeah. And that's where we sign off. Uh, thanks for chilling with us. And I'll leave you with one message. Don't wait. Create.